Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis and we're recording uh, an hour or two after game seven between Boston and Miami. Glenn, any initial thoughts? I mean, we finally got some good competitive games and, and, and nice to get one in a game seven. I, uh, so many different ways to kind of think about the game. I feel like I'm still processing it. The you know, Celtics kind of breaking through uh, with their young core that's, um, you know, kind of getting in, into their prime and all of that. But, but the fact that it came down so, so to be such a close game, yeah, I'm thinking about should that Max Strews three have counted? How would that have <laughs> impacted the end of the game? Where was PJ Tucker? Um, you know, why couldn't the Heat get anything from anyone on offense besides Jimmy and Bam, apart from Lowry giving them a little bit in the fourth quarter? So, I mean, lots, lots of stuff, but there was just a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to take in. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Boston, I'm grateful, I should say, that Boston Milwaukee gave us seven games and Boston Miami gave us seven games. And, you know, that's lots of lots of good, interesting, fun basketball there. So glad to have had a chance to to watch lots of thoughts to talk about here, but I feel like if I just jump in, I'm going to be all over the place. So help me out there, Kevin. <laughs> uh, I get this feels like minutia, but I, I'm going to bite on the bait of this truce thing was the idea that they were just checking to see if his toe was on the line. And that actually there were waited uh, his heels on the other line. Is that, is that what happened? Like that, that's the way I, that was the explanation I think I saw, but I've never heard of that. I've heard of a three going to a two, a two going to a three or whatever. I have never, I did not even know they could do that. I didn't know that was a thing. Did you know that was a thing? I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> it was weird. And I, and I pride myself on like understanding how their officials, I mean, people here, people who follow me on Twitter know, like I talk about, this is why they called that. This is like, I remember playing, I think it was last season when, Trey got ran over at the end of a game against the, the, the Dallas when he was trying to set a screen, they didn't call it a foul. And I, and I went and looked in the rule book. My recollection was like, when you set a screen from behind, you got to give a guy a step or you're not going to get, you know, and so I pride myself on knowing how the officials manage games. I've never heard of that. I have no idea. Uh, second part. Did you see and to the best, the best of your knowledge, do you know, did, did you know sometimes they'll they'll be the official report from the locker room like they'll they'll send in a loan representative from the media corps to go to go conduct an interview with the official yeah, that didn't reporter. happen for this game did it um i mean there's so much going on after game seven and after team wins I, I think it'd be i mean i think it'd be harder to make that happen because everybody has so much work to do to like who's going to be the pool reporter that doesn't get to do your actual job of getting paid for and go ask the question but and the other part was i mean i've i don't want to turn this into the zabruder film you know no. nba version but the, the more i've looked at the photos and video it's like i don't think he stepped on the line but it was yeah. so close i could see why they thought he did but but in my mind if like I thought the standard was always you don't overrule the call on the court unless you're just sure that the call on the court was wrong. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's I I don't want to make that the whole game, but that's yeah. just right. something Let's I've just never topics. What never would you think about of, Jimmy Butler playing 48 minutes? Something more? Not I mean, not a surprise. The guy is a maniac, you know, and the guy <laughs> there's no no doubt no doubt in my mind that he gave his team everything he could the whole playoffs long. 
Uh, and it's, and, and I'm just, what I am shocked about is like how bad he looked towards the middle of this series. It looked like he had absolutely no lift on that knee and was right. really limited. And then, uh, you know, if uh, his big face coffee is what kind of turned the corner, I need to get myself some big face coffee. Uh, you know, that's his coffee brand. Uh, and uh, but I mean, wow, just what a performance from him, you know, to, to almost get them there, which felt like from an offensive standpoint, it was like almost single handedly got them to a finals, which is I mean, there, there's so much to appreciate about what, what, what he brought in this series and really the whole playoffs. Yeah, I, I thought Boston, like, it, it didn't feel like their half halftime lead was large enough, given the way the first half went down. And it, and it seemed to me like, you know, there were two things. One, it was just like, make, make your free throws. I guess they were like six of 10. Honestly, it felt like they were two of 10. I don't know why, how, <laughs> where were the makes? It felt like they missed every free throw in the first half and then, just I didn't like their defense on Butler. Like it's like if it's like you're in semi-transition, I get that he's not your typical superstar where you're really worried about him kind of pulling up for a three, but you you can't give him that much of a runway with a head start to his right hand. You know, they were just begging for and one foul calls, letting him that get that much of sort of a running start towards the defense. And, and their defense was so good, and that just that one area just seemed like a total disaster in the first in the first half it seemed like it got better in the second half yeah agreed um you know it's one of those things where by game seven you felt like they should be throwing two three i mean you, you feel like boston should have been defending jimmy the way that miami defended trey in round one right just like just put all your resources onto jimmy like make someone else prove they're going to make shots and all that sort of stuff. But he, I mean, I mean, suppose a good coach and they're a veteran team, they know what they're doing and they ran a lot of different stuff to kind of get him the ball um, with a little bit of space to attack. Um, and, you know, and you and I talked about heading into the series when I said, I think Boston's going to win, but Miami's executing at such a high level that it, it's just not going to shock me if they ride that level of execution and, they, and it almost worked for them. And there was a lot of nuance into what they were doing on offense that made it hard for for Boston in some ways, but I, I thought they could have thrown more kind of resources at him. Um, but, you know, it's this is the kind of the famous thing, like if you let one guy go get his 40 and say, we're just going to limit everybody else that works, like they got almost nothing else from anyone other than Jimmy and Bam, like we said, or do you try to throw all your resources, take it out like Jimmy and let Struis get eight wide open threes or, you know, whatever it might be. So, um, but, but I mean, the whole series long also, Butler was just a ridiculous shot maker. He made like bizarro shot after bizarro shot. Like just like he's, you know, the, what was it? Game six. I think he had that like inbound pass where he kind of faked the handoff to Struce when they're inbounding with like a second <laughs> on the shot clock. I mean, it felt like he was making like 15% likelihood shot after 15% likelihood shot the whole time. And they were all just going in. So. Yeah. We didn't record, but like I, after game six, I was like, I feel good about Boston. Like, it felt like Miami just, you know, did things the hard way and got away with it, kind of. Like, I didn't feel sure. bad about Boston's defense at all. Like, I watched that game, and it's like, you play that game with, you know, I just it, it felt like if you did computer simulations based on the player performances in that game, like, you just, like, Boston's going to win that game, like, two-thirds of the time, and Miami just kind of 
went for the knockout punch and swung and got lucky, but it didn't, I didn't feel like Miami had a whole bunch of sustainable stuff going into game seven after, after watching game six. Yeah. I, I said on Twitter, I thought game seven would be like a 50, 50 game. And they, I mean, it, I guess it kind of worked out that way. It went down to the final <laughs> minutes, you know, uh, I don't feel so smart in like, you know, I didn't kind of see it coming about this way, but I, I just thought going to Miami, my being at home, Boston missing a chance to close out game six. I thought Boston would feel an absolute ton of pressure. And then being a little younger than Miami, I thought they, especially where their key guys, their, their primary guys being younger, I thought they would just have to deal with like a lot of internalized pressure in this game that, that might show up. And, and honestly, it kind of did. Like they went a long stretch to close the third and going into the fourth quarter where they went, it felt like they went like 15 straight possessions without getting a single good shot on offense in the half court. It, like Jalen got one where he attacked in transition and you know there were some things like that there's a putback um but I mean you and I talked about this the whole the whole playoffs with Miami having real offensive limitations and they had a long stretch Miami had a long stretch of defensive play where they op- that, that's what opened the door you know for them to kind of get a foot in the door and kind of get a chance to get the win um because they I mean they were nails as a you know, as, as Brad Roland would say, you know, nails on defense for a good eight, nine game minutes uh, in the defensive half court. And that's what got them down within range within five. Um, and they just didn't have the offense to, to kind of put it through. You know, I mean, Kyle made a couple shots finally, um, but Hero couldn't really go for them. Uh, I don't know what happened to PJ. We'll, we'll talk about that, I assume. Um, they just couldn't get any kind of offensive contribution from really anybody else. So, I, I, I mean, I thought Miami was playing – Miami looked like a team that was playing the, their last two rounds on teams the whole way and, like, had a really narrow path to wins but kept kept finding their way down that narrow path to a win and almost did it again here in Game 7. Yeah. My, Miami was impressive, honestly, just like – to get that far with this little offenses they did. And they I just didn't seem like they had the health either. Like, right. you know, you mentioned off air that, you know, where was PJ Tucker? Like he didn't look, he didn't look right when he did play. And then he was kind of gone for big parts of the second half. Like that's, that was a big loss for them. And like, you kind of see like, I mean, he's not the most aesthetically pleasing three point shooter, but, like his shot looked all asymmetric tonight, just all out of sync. Like they they weren't close, and they looked like hack. It's he didn't look right to me. I don't I don't know. And then and then he was gone. So like that's that's a huge loss. And Lowry wasn't quite right, and Butler wasn't quite right. And they 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 found gold kind of in Oladipo to just have a right. player like that that you could plug into the rotation from out of the rotation and and you know get something, but. I don't know. Miami can get better. Like there's, there's, there's stuff like Bam can get better at in particular. I think like he's, he's got to get better at like his face up game. He, he takes a lot of shots between like 12 and 14 feet. And in kind of an abstract sense, they're good shots, but he's not that good at them and he can get better at them. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I really buy him as a shooter overall. I think they need to work a good bit of that out. I, th- I think, I think understandably, if we go back, say three years or whatever, whatever duration of time back and we're like, Oh, Bam has a, a pretty unique ability to handle the ball as a center and 
Creed as a center and Pass as a center. And maybe they were they were like, the shot will come along. And I just I just don't really trust him as a shooter. I mean, what he gives you in the regular season is great. I mean, I mean, how do you kind of prepare yourself to go into a game where the opposing center has so much kind of creation ability that works that works great? But to to ride that to try to ride that four series deep in the postseason, his uh, basically off the dribble shooting in that mid range is just not nearly good enough. And I mean, and we saw round after round, even in this postseason that was quite successful for Miami, the opposing teams just backing off and letting him jack up those 12, 13, 14 footers off, off the dribble. So in my mind, I, you know, especially as much shooting as Miami can put on the floor. I, I mean, like, why are you putting those, having your center, you know, create, create those shots off the dribble. So I, I think they need to re calibrate their, their offense a bit and get and get some of that kind of kind of worked uh out of their kind of uh primary shot mate shot creation it's it's too too much bam for me w- worth a try to see like as you're developing him like how far you can get him nothing wrong with him not really being critical but i think now they should know that that there can't they sometimes have too much of that and that's 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 my view I, I don't ever want to limit a guy even at his point in his career for being able to figure something out and hit another level of development and maybe he will I, you know but I, I wouldn't if I were them I, I don't think I'd bake that into being something I like to do a lot of as much of next year yeah that, that that's fair I mean I, I kind of part of the reason that that I don't hate it is that I just don't believe in their offense as a whole, like on the big stage. But I mean, I think he needs to aim for more variety too. Like he's a good enough passer and a good enough ball handler that it's, do you want to see him? If even if the defense is taking a step back, then okay, close that gap with a dribble and, you know, see what happens. If there's a rotation to help, you know, he's good enough to find the pass, yep. almost like a short roll pass and, and, you know, keep the offense moving. And if not, you know, he, he's, should be good enough to get some one-on-one matches where he can create contact. They've just got to get something out of that though. You know, one way or another, like, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, for me, it's like, I want to see the big man make the other big man defend the rim. Like I want to see you go at the rim, try to get contact, you know, the benefit of getting the other team's primary center, Mm -hmm. uh, starting center in foul trouble, you know, that that's, I mean, I know this is kind of like old school kind of stuff. And so maybe that's where some of that's coming from for me, but, you know, in my mind, when you, a center is kind of, and this is a little bit of kind of, I think how Monty got a little bit frustrated with John Dre Eaton at times was, you know, putting up that 13 footer and, and that makes it so easy on the other team center. You know, I mean, you're just going to, you're, you're going to watch that until he makes what three in a row, (laughs) you know, you know, um, or something like that. So in my mind, I mean, you've got to find ways to stress other teams defensive anchor and that that's not going to get it done in, in my view. So, I mean, I mean, we, we like if you're doing it on the Jokic level, okay, fine. Like that's MVP level, and that's a no-brainer efficiency and diversity. But Jokic will still go right at his defender near the rim a lot. And same for Embiid. Embiid's yeah. super efficient, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff. But he's looking to kind of get to specific spots. Bam is, you know, one time it's a, you know. A, a simple jump shot the next time it's kind of a half runner half foot you know it's like what yeah, what do we got to be more consistent 
Right. I totally agreed. And in my mind, I don't think he gets there. Like, again, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to preclude that from being possible. I don't ever want to say, bam, you can't do that, you know, but if I'm like strategizing what we're doing in office next year, I, 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 I rethink that part a little bit. I was impressed with Boston's passing. I know they've had some games in the playoffs where they just chuck the ball around and have a ton of turnovers, but you know, there were some, you know, the last few games of the series, some some very deliberate half court uh, possessions against stout defense where they're just, you know, getting an edge trying to get that slight advantage, get them into rotation just a little bit and make the next pass and then work the next edge and until they, they get a decent shot. Uh, it works a whole lot better when, when Derek White is making shots. But, you know, if you told me that the Boston offense was going to look like that with, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown kicking the ball around like they did for that series, uh, if you told me that 24 months ago, maybe even 12 months ago, like I – I wouldn't have believed it until I saw it. And and I saw it like it, it's there. Like, I think we're going to have differing viewpoints on the finals, but I, I'm, I'm impressed with Boston's offense. Like other than the plays where Robert Williams was in there. Uh, it's, it's a pretty well-oiled machine. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought they, even through adversity, they just stayed connected. And, and I thought that was a real theme for them on both ends of the court, but especially on offense. Like one thing that this may seem like a strange thing, but they had such incredible like shot clock awareness. Like whoever had the ball, like there were like five seconds in the shot clock and it didn't matter who it was. Like I've got to get a shot up if I'm Derek White or I'm Marcus Smart or, you know, Al Horford or whatever. They just do it with confidence. Like I've got to create a shot and, 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 and just their willingness to take bad shots. If the shot clock called for that ugly shots, if that happened, crash the boards, you know, and to just kind of fill all of the um, kind of the roles uh, and almost interchangeably, depending on who has the ball at what spot on the floor. Oh, Al has the ball at the three point break and there's five on the shot clock. So I'm Derek White. I'm going to go down and make it hard for those to read, you know? And so it's just, there was a systematic kind of, way that it looked like they played to me that was interchangeable with putting the ball in the court almost no, no matter who it was apart from some ugly Jalen Brown kind of moments in the series passing the ball you know okay the team the the defense collapsed the guy on the on the weak side of the corner is open no matter who I am that has the ball I'm going to move the ball to their side corner whether I'm a yep. good passer or average passer or whatever it was and I thought they just balled into making the right play over and over and over even if sometimes it resulted in something ugly if it was sometimes it resulted in something rushed, um, they just stuck with it and, and kind of the play in a very kind of, kind of systematic way in that sense. And that, and I think that was really important because I think teams that a team like them, especially that maybe don't, doesn't buy into that. They're like, Hey, Jason Tatum, go, go get these points for us. And that just, I mean, when you watch what PJ Tucker did, you know, the end of this game aside, the whole series, like how much Jason Tatum had to work on offense to get what he got was like, it was incredible. I mean, um, and if the other four players on the court, that whole series weren't buying into like, sometimes I got to be the shot creator. Sometimes I got to be the guy making that hard pass that passes 
harder for me than I'd prefer. You know, it's, oh, I caught the ball with four seconds in the shot clock, so I got to take one or two dribbles and find a way to get my best shot up, and then whoever's on the other side. And the pressure Tucker put on Tatum the whole series required the other four players to buy into whatever role they found themselves in, shot clock, situation, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, them staying with that was the difference in this series because that buy-in to that kind of system in my mind resulted in Boston getting consistently more from their secondary players than Miami did. I mean, by a lot, lot. right. (laughs) By a lot. And so, you know, you had your Peyton Pritchard stretches where he was, I mean, there were times I was asking questions like, is Peyton Pritchard better than Tyler Hero? You know, you know, is is that, is that a thing? You know, I don't think so, but Right. But I mean, there were, there, there are moments in games where you're like Peyton Pritchard's having a much bigger impact on this game, Tyler Harrow. And I think when I pull back now, after reflecting on the seven games, it's like, no, that was Peyton Pritchard buying into sometimes I've got to create the shot. Sometimes I've got to go down and fight for a rebound and just occupy, you know, <clears throat> you know, somebody or see if I can get a foul call or whatever. Um, and that was a, a big difference. Uh, Harrow never got it going. I don't know what his kind of stat, health injury really status was early in this series. Kyle, I mean, missed Kyle missed what a hundred straight shots at one point. It felt like, you know, in this series, uh, you know, Struess, uh made some timely shots, but he's at this point, not a guy who can kind of create his own separation from a defender, you know, really he's going to have to rely on scheme and, and movement and action and things like that. But I mean, if you go back and look at the series, just kind of look at what they got from Horford, Smart, White, Grant Williams, at times Pritchard, you know, on and on. And on the other side, like Bam was an offensive ghost for some too much of the series and nothing. I mean, how did let, how did that he have a chance to win this game with a minute to go in the game seven? When you think about that, you know, and it really comes down to like Jimmy Butler being an absolute just monster on offense, single handedly, individually. You know, it, it's just it's it's crazy. You know, I, 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 I haven't heard the game kind of situated like this by anybody, but you know, the whole like, can you win with system play? Or do you need to have the guy who can go get you 40, right? And 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 I didn't think coming into this postseason that Jimmy would be the guy that's going to go get his team 40 consistently. And then Boston, having Tatum on the team, is going to be the team that really relies on system the whole way through. And to bring this back to kind of a Hawks point, because this is a Hawks podcast, is that was a, a, a thing that we were all trying to work out when Bud was here. You know, can Horford, Al, I'm sorry, Paul, Teague, Corver, etc. Can you know? And you'd ask them. Like I remember in scrums, like who takes the last shot, and they'd be like, "Whoever's open." Where you know, the other team is like, "We know who's going to take the last shot. That's our guy. He's going to go take." You know. And so there's, I think there's been a lot, a lot of debate over the years. Like, can you get there with system play? Boston did that in the series, in my mind. Boston did that in the series, in my mind. I don't know if you see it that way at all, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that these teams, I mean, when you get to this level, you've got to have both. Like you just, you're, you're not, you're not going to get this far with one or the other. I don't know. Like, I think Miami has both. I think Boston has both. I think the Warriors have both. The Dallas had, you know, has kind of both. I don't know. I think, I think all that, you know, and you, you've got to, 
the defenses are good enough. The scheming is good enough that you've kind of got to, you kind of got to have both and you've got to be able to toggle on and off the modes, depending on, you know, what's being shown to you, what's being given to you, what's there on the floor. I mean, these teams on offense, they have to be so smart and so talented to score. The, the defenses are good. I mean, that's, isn't that's that's sort of the common theme of the four teams that made the semifinals, right? Hey, yeah, I think I think so, and, and maybe it is like, um, I mean, you know, if we put Jordan up there, like obviously you're gonna ride Jordan. Jordan's you know one of the easily like one or two like greatest NBA players ever, right? And, but I mean, we're talking about Jason Tatum, a guy who got a few MVP votes this year, right? And one <laughs> one season. So, you know, that's it's not fair to kind of compare that. But you know, I I thought Tatum gave them enough of what they needed from him. But during the stretches they couldn't get get PJ out of Jason's face. I thought the other guys doing their system stuff, but to your point, it's both, right? Was the difference. Miami didn't get enough of that consistently in my mind in this series. But you know, I I guess maybe to kind of close out the Miami versus Boston thing. I I thought the most satisfying part of the result here was that Boston to me was clearly the best team in the Eastern conference from what January 15th or so all the way through the end of the regular season. And they got to the finals. And uh, to me, that's, that's satisfying. Um, Not that I was rooting one way or the other, you know, I I do think Boston creates a more interesting matchup versus the Warriors, but it's in my mind, the Eastern Conference was viewed as kind of being like, can Philly get there with Harden and Embiid, and you know, or can Miami, you know, use their ex- level of execution? It's on and on and on. Milwaukee, obviously, but I mean, to me, it's it's kind of satisfying with the team that was the best team in the conference for the last at least half of the season, mixed to the finals. I I, I just kind of find that a satisfying outcome, even if that wasn't necessarily what I was rooting for. I wasn't rooting for a specific outcome. Okay. I don't mind Kyle Lowry going home. No, I I I'm, I'm, I, I'm <laughs> actively rooting for Kyle Lowry to be done. I've seen enough. <laughs> be done. Go. Thank you. Great season. I mean, I I he's phenomenal. He's been a, he's had a phenomenal career. He's not, There's he's a lot not of a dumb player. Game, like but... he's trying to do stuff, but yeah, it's not it's not his job to not try. Uh, you kind of have yeah. to legislate it out. The league has to kind of say, hey, you know this. This is bad for the product. Uh, please take that and go somewhere else. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's such a cagey player. Uh, I'm not gonna hate him. He still, he still does a lot. Like they, they I, I still like. You know, Boston can play defense. Miami can play defense. Boston can play offense. Miami, it's like, how did they make this series even this close? Like, I, I get that Jimmy Butler was incredible, but even with Jimmy Butler, incredible, like. I, I don't know how like I, this was like a, what was like a two point game with ninety seconds left. It's like yeah. in game seven, like I just ridiculous. Like Boston, I, I don't even understand the ending. Like I guess part of it's like I I was almost gonna praise Marcus Smart earlier when like five minutes ago you were talking about how you know the players were aware on Boston were very aware of the shot clock and. You know, I, I definitely felt that. Like, I especially felt felt it for Marcus Smart. Like, you know, when when there's kind of a he's the open man, and there's a swing pass, and it's like let's say inside of like seven seconds left on the shot clock. You know, he has a very good sense of okay. Like, even when the pass in the air, the pass is in the air. It's like he's squaring 
up for that jump shot while the pass yeah. is in the air. It's like he has that confidence of belief and like he just knows, okay, now I'm going to take the shot. And even it's not always like the most open or greatest shot, but he just does a great job of like prepping and, and squaring up for that shot ahead of time. And then there were like the last three minutes of the game. It's like, you know, they're, they're trapping, you know, there's a reason you're getting an open three with 15 seconds on the shot clock, just settle down, stop chucking those up. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, it, it worked for him for the first 45 minutes It worked for him for the first six games, but in the last three minutes, he was making me crazy with, with some of his choices there. Yeah. I, I know it's sort of, I, I feel like that's something Dan Tony brought has brought a lot of good stuff to the league, but one of his philosophies is if you're open from the three point line, you shoot it always, 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 always. And like, that's, just one little kind of example, like that's the one reason Carmelo didn't stick around in Houston was he lost confidence in the three-point shot. And D'Antoni's like, if I beat you on the court, you're right over from the three-point line. I don't care if you're shooting 12% on the season, you're putting the shot up because that's what we do. That's what we have to do. And Melo was like, I'm not going to miss 50 straight of these or, <laughs> you know, or whatever, because he's in a real funk at the time. But that, that was every time I see a team like 16 on the shot clock, we're up nine points with a minute and a half left or whatever. Right. Yeah. Open three. I'm putting it up. That's, that's Dan Tony. Um, and, 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 and I think our analytics people would say that's the right thing. Like, like you're statistically, that's statistically, that's the best shot you're getting on that possession. You know, if you work it for 12 more seconds, yeah. you know, you're going to end up, you're likely to end up with a more contested shot. So, you know, what's the value of leading 10 more seconds? You know, I, that we that's probably 10 hours of like <laughs> you know conversation to have like should you bleed the clock at that point in the game depending on what you're yeah. i haven't figured that one out yet and it's, it's too late for us to try to figure it out here <laughs> like, so, so golden state boston yeah how is this going to shake out like if i if it's uh I, i'm kind of intrigued just with with some base lineup stuff. And for me, when I think about the Celtics base lineup, I feel like Grant Williams, even though he's coming on the bench off the bench has to be in there. He's kind of a finisher. And then I think the Warriors are going to use Kevon Looney a lot. I, I mean, I guess Jordan Poole gives them a whole lot, but like, if, I, I'm just curious. Let me just put the question out there instead of the caveats. Like if it's Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins. How does that group match up? How do they guard, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, Al Horford, and Marcus Smart? Like, who's, who's, who is, like, let's start with Andrew Wiggins. Like, who is he guarding? Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting to me because, you know, when we, we obviously we saw Wiggins do what he did with Luca that series. And you and I talked about it the last, you know, the last time we recorded. And I think the default has to be, okay, he's going to start on Tatum, you know, because that's that just kind of gives them the continuity for what they were successful with last series, right? Um, you know, who takes, you know, Looney probably takes, I'm going to say Grant in that case, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then you kind of, then you kind of go from there. Um, Clay's probably on smart because Clay's got a little bit more strength to work with. Uh, and then, um, you know, who takes, who takes Steph in that case? Um, yeah, that, that's where we're kind of getting into some interesting. So who, who does Steph guard in that lineup? 
So the Celtics lineup we're going with is Smart, Tatum, Brown. So I, yeah, probably... Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford, uh, Williams. Yeah, so I mean, Seth probably starts on Jalen. Okay, I think. Um, I think that's the way it starts, but I, I feel like Kerr is going to want to get a lot of reps of Draymond on Tatum just taking the ball from Tatum. Sorry, Brown, Jalen, with Draymond just taking the ball from from him, you know, trying to take the ball from him and really attacking that kind of that mediocre handle that showed up a lot in this postseason, despite a lot of a lot of other really good work Jalen's done, you know. Um, in the series, but I feel like that's something they're going to want to absolutely capitalize on. But I think the possession starts with Steph on on Jalen, um, and then and then kind of kind of going from there. I, I think I think the Warriors would welcome. I mean, I think we've seen how many like a thousand times where Steph has been brought into the screen, and Steph has used that strong show and recover show get out of the way and kind of recover. And I think, I think they're comfortable with that. They're going to use if the Celtics would then use kind of Jalen to bring stuff into the screen. So I think, I, I think that's how it works out, but I, but I, you know, we know that Kerr um, is kind of managing the defense and, and his coaching staff. I don't want to just say Kerr on like in a multi multi-dimensional way. And I think they're going to look for opportunities to do things like get Draymond on Jalen. And they're going to look for opportunities to have Wiggins continue to kind of, um, funnel Tatum towards where there's help, you know, and, 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 and the help looks different when Robert Williams is on versus when Horford is on, you know, right. you know, and, and, and that's the, you know, that's going to be the kind of, kind of thing that's, that's going to be interesting. Um, interesting there. So, um, you know, and for me, it's like, I'm, I'm curious. I, I feel like, I feel like I need to sit and think about this more, but like, I feel like Looney being on kind of helps the Celtics because they can play more of their, uh, they can be less concerned about which big they have on the floor in those moments, moments I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which makes me think like, how much is Kerr going to be willing to roll, you know, Draymond at the five lineups for long stretches, you know, and it, it's, it's, there's, there's so, I mean, I feel like we're, I feel like I'm going to, I feel like I should have more concrete ideas about what I expect in game one. I think the smart thing to say is I think we're going to learn a lot in game one but my my base is that i think wiggins starts on tatum i think steph starts on Jalen, but they look for opportunities to get draymond on him um and then i think you know we're gonna learn like what curse appetite is for playing without looney uh at the five you know and you know uh and, and see kind of how that works a lot of times Kerr will try to save that even not even do that a lot in game one and game two. He'll kind of save them for three through seven. Right. And, you know, but that, I, I feel like there's so much to, to be learned from game one. The series starts on Thursday, I think. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Do, is there anything you expect to see that I didn't kind of hit on there? Because I – I mean, I was going to ask you, like, can, if if Grant Williams is out there, can can you have Steph guard him? Or is that – cause trouble with them bringing grant into the action and I, I, like does that work i think yeah i think you can think that's a spot I, isn't it yeah I, I just think that um that that might be i think the biggest concern there is the rebounding for sure um uh, and then just i mean grant's going to be physical with him and that's just there's somewhere in terror you know kind of kind of risks mm-hmm. as well and stuff so um 
And the, and the other part is this might seem kind of like really on the margins, but when you have Steph on Jalen, Jalen brings that screen that you're going about 20 feet when it's Grant in the corner and he, and Steph is chasing Grant all the way up to the top of the floor. I mean, I mean, that's a lot more distance to cover. That's a lot more energy, energy to expend. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have, I mean, they put Grant in the corners all the time and that's just a long way for Steph to go. And then to, right. you know, and then to, the further he has to go, the more momentum he's carrying towards that screen. And it's, I think it's harder to manage through the show if you're carrying more momentum towards it. So that's, you know, I want him starting near the three-point break rather than the corner with whoever they're going to use. And, of course, the boss could say, Jalen, get in the corner. But that's just not what they normally do, you know. Right. You know? So, yeah, and that, I know this is kind of really getting into deep, deep, deep into X's and O's, but I, I, I want to say, I want to save, if I'm Kerr, I want to save some energy you know, with Steph and not have him traveling so far at defense. Having watched uh, the Western Conference playoffs to this point, things a little different than the regular season. Where is uh, Clay Thompson at defensively for a series like this? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I, he's pretty slow. Um, I mean, I, I, maybe this is where everyone are most, you know, players at this point, like he's smart and really aware and he's really good in the team construct. Like, like when he's on the court with pool, if pool's man is coming up to put pull into the screen, clay will take his man and follow him up to the screen and get pulled out of it. And there's a lot of kind of quasi dream and stuff that Clay's been doing this whole playoff series. But you get him in the space one on one, and he's he's going to struggle. How many? I mean, that said, Boston isn't like super dynamic with guys that take you off the dribble. You know, apart from Tatum and like Brown when the ball's sticking to his hand. You know, and not not he's not losing it all the time. Um, but like you know, I'm not afraid of Derek White trying to break down Clay. You know, I'm not afraid of really smart breaking down Clay so much. You know, uh, and stuff. So you know, I, I feel like Clay's gonna overall kind of be okay as long as they're kind of functioning in the team in the team parts of defense that that are important. But um, yeah, I mean, it's funny when you and I recorded last. I, I we were talking about how. Like for game one, Boston, Miami, like Boston was just trying to hold game one just, just to get PJ off of Tatum. <laughs> just that, like, I almost don't care who else it is. It's not PJ. And, you know, in crunch time, is that going to be Draymond, you know, on t- you know, on Tatum? And if so, who else is on the court? How do they matter? There's a million different ways that could go. So I don't even want to try to think through it. Um, but, you know, when it's not Tatum, I'm just not that worried about, you know, guys taking Warriors defenders off the dribble for the most part, you know? So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's, it's kind of funny because, you know, my track record of the Warriors here, I thought they would beat the Nuggets. I think, I think I said six, they won in five. I thought they would beat the Grizzlies in five. I think it was six. And, and then uh, and I, I thought Dallas would, be, would beat them. I didn't. I didn't think they would be able to to contain Luca enough. I thought Dallas was playing really well from an execution standpoint, um, and the Warriors totally surprised me. It, and I mean, the, the, I mean, by the end of the series, they had choked Luca off completely. You know, for the most part, right? Um, so now I, you know, I, can't, I, I don't. It'd be unfair for me to go and say 
I predict Warriors going to win the championship as if I've been writing them as the, you know, the team I picked the whole, not the case. Um, but I, I do think Boston is going to, Boston has been successful because they've been able to defend with, for the most part, three defenders on the perimeter, maybe a fourth out there, but not getting like Grant or Al or Robert Williams um, up really high on the floor, you know, very often at all. The Warriors are going to drag, stretch them out on defense so much. And I think that's where I see the the series breaking into the favors of the Warriors. I, I think Grant Williams is going to struggle that far out there. I think Robert Williams is going to have almost no defensive role um, in that sense, apart from when, you know, maybe like an auto Porter, if he's healthy is on the court, you know, and he kind of stick with him and things like that. So, I mean, uh, Udoka is going to have to be like on it, like every minute of every game, or it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a difficult for Boston. So overall, I think the Warriors win this and probably six is, is, is probably how I see it going, but you know, we'll see. You kind of jumped my next question. I was going to ask you, you know, do the, do the Warriors get some bounce from being just so different offensively from all the other teams? Like they're just, they play a different style. And, and I like what you said. Like, I really don't think this is the series for Robert. Agreed. I just, they, like, that's just not going to work. Like it's, it helps you against a certain style of team, and that team is not the Warriors. Yeah, I agree. And I think I know Boston fans would like boot me off of this podcast, like, oh, Grant can handle guys. It's like, we're talking about, I mean, and not just, we're not just talking about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson cutting, you know, flare screens, working back towards the ball, Draymond, you know, moving the ball side, you know. I mean, we're talking about like doing that like 32 feet from the basket on like possession after possession after possession. And then like, oh, we got Grant 32 feet from the, rim now we're going to attack the rim <laughs> you know and and i just feel like they throw so much at you um and it's so different than anything boston has seen i it, um it, I mean, what what gold state runs on offense i mean I, and that's another thing that surprised me in this dallas series was that you know the warriors doing the same stuff they were doing five years ago and i thought maybe they do that at like the 75 percent level now you know steph's older injuries plays injuries didn't play for two whole years and then like and some not the whole game, but like for five minutes at a time, or whatever. It's like it's like all the way there again. The the pace, the rhythm, the decision making, and and it's like with new guys on the court, like Poole and you know, and and, and such, and Wiggins, and and Wiggins is not slowing them down, you know, as as much as you think. So it's I mean I don't know how defensively. And and I'll I'll roll the dice with Al Horford, like keeping my team connected and on plan and all that sort of stuff as much as anyone. I've, I'm worried about the non-Horford minutes when Horford you know goes to the bench, and then even with Horford, yeah. like it's still a ton of stress. For sure. Um, so that that's where I see it kind of it kind of swinging. I, I hope this goes. To, I mean, I'm 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 team seven games because I'm, I'm I'm team more basketball. It's kind of what I tend to root for <laughs> is like let's take this get to seven games. Um, but I. I think Boston has a hard time kind of kind of getting it there. But what what how do you see this one ending up? I think I'm higher on Grant Williams than you for the for this series. Like I I think he'll be able to do some stuff. I 
there were a couple times tonight where Jalen Brown got beat back door. You know, he's trying to keep an eye on the ball handler and, and, you know, he's kind of the next man over kind of keeping an eye for when he could stunt and then poof, somebody's behind him. And I'm sure those, uh, <laughs> those clips are going to come to light in the next couple of days. Cause that's not going to fly against golden state. Uh, I think I don't feel good about it, but I think I'll say Boston in six. Like, hmm. I, I just think that the East was just a deeper challenge. I think, Agreed. I think you, you know, you just look. I, I kind of feel good and bad about it in the sense that. You know, I think the Eastern Conference playoffs was just a much deeper challenge. I think they were playing against a higher level of competition all the way through. I think people are underselling like, oh, they swept Brooklyn. But, you know, Boston's really good. You know, you look back now and those were close games and Brooklyn wasn't that far away from kind of turning the corner in that series. Like maybe all is not lost in Brooklyn. Um, And I don't think that the teams that the – golden state has beaten have pushed them in the same way i don't know if boston has that much on offense but i don't i don't know i'm a little bit worried about the warriors defensively i i probably shouldn't be but i I don't know in a sense though like I feel like Miami was terrible preparation to get ready for a series against golden state like (laughs) i feel like you know it's like a like a car crash coming in game one where he's just this huge u-turn in styles like it's that that that's kind of nerve-wracking and you know how long does it take for for boston to kind of get a rhythm against golden state and and feel good about it because i think they have the personnel and the coaching to kind of get there but you know life comes at you fast that this series might come at boston really fast if if they're not ready yeah that's a great point i mean i don't know if listeners know but the boston coaching staff is really good really deep really really good what one it has to be one of the best staffs in the whole league and and that's made a difference in this run and 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 one thing that you know we, at the end of the series if it's if it ends up differently than i think we might look back is boston's played in tight game after tight game after tight game series have gone deep i mean brooklyn pushed them and Gold State really hasn't had to close out close games very many times. And so maybe that shows up that Boston's been under the screws, you know, you know, multiple times already here. Um, yeah, you know, you'd think that with all the experience that like Steph and Clay and Draymond, you know, have kind of, you know, managing through this, but maybe it makes a difference. Like if it, it, even like in a seven game series, if, it, if it's really, really close game one in Boston because they've been in, you know, un, under this pressure the whole way, like maybe they pull out game one by one by winning one possession, you know, because of the, that, that could swing everything, you know. Um, and so that, that is going to be an interesting, an interesting thing. But I, I mean, I, you know, this is their, this is this coaching staff's first year working together this way, you know. And, and I, but I do, I have so much respect and appreciation for how much coaching talent, coaching depth they have. And so I can't wait to see what they roll out. I can't, I, I can't wait to see how they try to deal with what Golden State does on offense. I can't, I mean, I have no idea how they're going to do it. I would, I mean, I, I would like throw my hands up in the air and go, we're, we're done guy. You know, not really, but I mean, with, it feels, it feels almost pointless. 
but if there's a coaching staff to kind of see not, and not that spoke couldn't have, you know done something too but like especially this is their first year i i, just, I can't wait because that is a that is a really good coaching staff over there so looking forward to it yeah i put a picture on twitter today of the hawks coaching staff and and you know i put it up because darvin ham got hired as head coach of the lakers but you yeah. just look and it was that first Bud coaching staff was, you know, Darvin, Bud, uh, Quinn Snyder, Kenny Atkinson. Who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, Taylor Jenkins. And it's yeah. like, you know, they all got a head coaching stint. Yeah. They've all, you know, proven themselves to be really successful. And it's like, wow, that, that was a lot for their first year. But, you know, Kerr got a ring in his first season as Warriors coach. And now Udoka is in the finals in his first year as coach. Yep. It doesn't take long if, if it's right, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a former Hawks assistant, you know, that's on over there with Udoka you know, on the, yep. on the Boston bench. So, um, so that was just fun, fun, kind of fun to see, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know really read for an outcome, but I would be thrilled to see Al get the championship. I have to say, I, I mean, that, that would just be just so, uh, I'm still pro Al and have so much appreciation for what he did for the franchise and stuff and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's an individual player I'm rooting for. It's, it's kind of him, even if that's not what I think it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Maybe my last question for you is I'm going to be in San Francisco when game five happens. Should I spend nine hundred dollars on a ticket to go to that game? No. Thanks for uh, validating <laughs> validating my initial decision. <laughs> I have a question for you. If, yeah. if, if the Celtics win, does does Joe Johnson get a ring? I hope so. I hope That'd so. be something. Have uh, Al Horford and Joe Johnson get a ring in the in the same series? Yeah, and then, then Joe's got to go on Twitter and say. I got an A-plus on the group project or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. I think it's going to be a great finals. I mean, I I mean, if you enjoy watching what coaches, kind of what the, the tactics coaches, I, I, this is going to be so rich, like, in, in that area. And that's aside from just watching stuff and kind of get there one more time and try to get one more ring. And Tatum, you know, this young up-and-coming superstar, seeing how he can handle his first time on so much to enjoy. Uh, but for me, I just can't wait to see what these teams are running uh, on Thursday night to try, to try to account for what they know that the teams can try to do, though. It's going to be so fun. All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this, and we'll have to rejoin at some point in the series here. Look forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> All right. Good night.